Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 5th, 2019. The share ID numbers for Friday, May 3rd are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,859, that's 12859. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,861, that's 12861. This morning, A Vision for You presents Ending the Vicious Cycle. Most of us have come to Overeaters Anonymous as a result of the constant defeat, frustration, and despair we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. We seem to be caught in a trap we cannot spring. Put simply, we have an abnormality of the body, an allergy, which means that once we start eating certain kinds of foods, we develop cravings which overpower us. And we have an abnormality of the mind, a mental obsession, which means that even if we stop eating those foods, our mind persuades us that we can return to eating those foods all over again and again and again and again. Thus, We can't stop once we start due to the allergy, and we can't stop from starting again due to the obsession that sends us back. We are thus in a vicious cycle. We come to OA looking for a way out, a solution which will free us from the bondage and suffering of our affliction, finally ending the vicious cycle. Joining us today is Mo H., a recovered compulsive overeater from California. Mo is devoted to living the 12-step way of life and is a loyal member and messenger of A Vision for You. It's with great gratitude and pleasure that I welcome her to the line today. Good morning, Mo. Yes, good morning, Leah. Thank you very much for that introduction. And uh, starting my timers here, my heart is pounding out of my chest right now because um, <clears throat> this is my first time doing this uh, for the Sunday special edition, but as my sponsor said, I am to carry the message. So my prayer this morning is, God, higher power, I ask that you use me this morning so that I can be of service to others. Help me be open so that you can work in and through me. So qualify. I've been in the room since 1989. I've had some recovery during that time. I left the rooms once in 1996 for four years after a really bad relapse, which was surrounded by guilt and shame and a lot of embarrassment. I did regain all my weight back and more. Uh, I returned in 2000, and I'll share that in my story, why I returned. And I've been in the rooms ever since. Uh, I call myself a serial dieter and a quantity addict. I love lots of food, and I have no control over the amount of food I eat. My switch for being full is broken, so I weigh and measure all my foods today. But since 2015, when I was introduced to this meeting by my current sponsor and the study of the big book, I finally started to truly understand the twofold nature, as Leia so uh, well put, of my disease, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And on March 6th, I had my last bite and I surrendered to the program as it is written. 
I have maintained a weight release of 65 pounds for that time. Um, and I'm free from the obsession of food. So what it was like. I was born in New York and raised in Maryland. I had one older brother. And we were very we were raised in a very strict Irish religious family. What was unique about our childhood is that when we were three, when my brother turned three, my mother put him in dancing school, and then I came along three years later. And when I came turned three, she put uh, me in dancing school, and we were naturals. Dancing became my life, and I did enjoy it. Uh, we traveled from Maryland to New York every other weekend to take lessons from professionals, and we took lessons during the week in Washington, D.C. We took tap ballet, acrobatics, and modern dance. Uh, my brother and I were a dance team, and we were on the road to becoming professionals. Uh, we performed at USO camps and on television, at church, at school functions, parties, any place people asked us to perform. Uh, my dancing career created a very structured and disciplined lifestyle because this was my lifestyle. I would go to school, come home, change my clothes, and we would either go to dance lessons or we would go to the basement and practice. And then after an hour or so of that, we would do our homework, eat dinner, do more homework, and go to bed. And that was how I ra was raised for my early years up until the age of 13. Uh, I want to go into a little bit of my food in those early years. When I was nine days old, I needed to have surgery because I had an extra digit, an extra toe. And I was told that the doctor used a sugar cube to uh, remove that toe uh, to put the anesthetic in it to put me to sleep. I don't know if that's a true story or not. I never checked it out, but what I learned in doing my fourth step is that sugar equaled pain. Sugar helped with pain. And it was a very unconscious thing that I didn't really know about. I've always enjoyed sweets from a very young age. I was the candy monitor in eighth grade. Um, so I was in control of all the candy that was sold. I got to purchase the candy and I was in charge. And then it was another thing. We had a fundraiser that we sold these huge, large uh, candy bars, um, and I think I ate most of them before I sold them. My father also loved his sweets, and he would take us out for ice cream and and after special show and after shows that my brother and I would do, he would take us out for a treat. My mother would get upset with him because she didn't want him gaining weight. She was very proud of uh, her body, and um, my cat just walked in front of me and messed up my computer. <laughs> she was very, she was a very proud lady, and body image was very important to her. Um, but during those years, with all that dancing, I didn't have a problem with my weight. Um, it really was pretty normal, and and so. Um, so food wasn't really an issue in those early years, even though I did enjoy my sweets. I don't remember overeating. It's just that I did enjoy sweets. Um, so when I was 13, my father was transferred from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco. And I think this was the turning point for my problem with food. 
as I started having trouble with my weight. We all, the whole family was traumatized by the move, and we never talked about our feelings. That was something we didn't do in those days. We never shared what was going on. And uh, so looking back, my brother stopped dancing at that time with me and got involved with drugs and alcohol. My mother's social drinking increased, and my dad became a workaholic. And then I got into food. Uh, I wanted to eat what I wanted and when I wanted it. And because my mother got a job and wasn't in charge of the kitchen anymore, I could eat what I want when I came home from school. I did keep dancing, but it really wasn't the same without my brother. Um, It just was very, very different being alone. Um, And transferring as a freshman into an all-girls private high school, it was very lonely. I didn't know anyone. I was scared. I was miserable. I hated high school. I really never fit in. And so I started gaining weight, and it was the beginning of this vicious cycle of gain and lose, gain and lose. I call it the dieting cycle. I was always looking for the next fad diet that would fix my problem. Uh, my mom and my dance teachers were on me about my weight, because, uh, and which made me very self-conscious, because you can't hide in a leotard and tights. Um, and so I, it was really hard. Uh, but there was one point when I was 17, I performed in Swan Lake, and of course I wanted to lose weight for that, so I starved myself. And I learned how to do that by the other ballerinas in the dancing room. They were older, and they they were doing the binge-starve thing uh, to to lose weight. In More About Alcoholism on page 35, it says, We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And this was the beginning of my progressive illness. So when I graduated from high school, I wanted to go to New York to get into show business. Of course, that's what I had been trained to do. And my mother was against it. She wanted me to go to college. So I registered at college, and my first year away from home, I put on the weight. I gained 30 to 40 pounds that year. I was drinking. I was eating. I was uh, uncontrollably uh, into all of the food and alcohol that's available in college, and I drank and ate my way right into flunking out of college because I didn't study very, very good eating all that food. So, and there is a solution on page 21. It says at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink, and that was what happened to me. Returning home ashamed, I went to junior college and eventually graduated uh, from this four-year college with a degree in physical education with a dance emphasis. I also taught ballroom dancing and needed to look good, Uh, so I went to a diet doctor who gave me pills, which made me crazy, but helped me lose the weight. So, you know, another of this vicious cycle. Don't get the diet pills. In the meantime... During this time, I met my husband, and we got married. And so what did I do for the wedding? What everybody does, I lost weight. I lost weight, but what happened on the honeymoon? I gained it all back. And then right after we got married, I was pregnant. I got pregnant and proceeded to gain more weight. 
And I was very scared and fearful of being a mom because I was young and I didn't know any of the skills about how to be a mom. Uh, but I had a beautiful uh, baby, a healthy baby girl. After her birth, I resumed my diet cycle because I had gained all this weight, and of course I didn't lose that much when when I had her. And uh, I would lose some, then I would gain some, then I would lose some, then I would gain some. Um, I tried, you know, all kinds of diets throughout the years. Um, I have been. Uh, there was a brown di- brown bag diet that came to me in the mail in a brown bag. It was just a booklet explained a diet uh, program for me. There was counting calories. There was Richard Simmons. There was Weight Watchers. There was uh, uh, um, uh, oh I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, I had a lot of lot of different diets. Um, then. My second child was born, and with his birth, my life changed because he was born with physical challenges, and um, I didn't know. I was devastated. My husband and I were both devastated, and um, he was born with challenges of his hands and feet, and the only way I knew how to cope was to use food and did my eating increase. Uh, that day he was born. My life changed that day he was born. Um, There was a person at a meeting once that said she had an affair with the refrigerator, and I totally identified with her that I really started having an affair with the refrigerator. I worried whether he would be able to walk, whether he would be able to hold a pencil and write. Would he go to school? Would he be able to play sports? There were so many fears. Um, Food became my friend, and food helped me survive those tough days. After he was born, being a good Catholic girl, I had three more children. The problem is each one of them had the same physical challenges, and it was absolutely devastating. We found out after our third child that there was a genetic issue, and that I was the carrier of the defective gene. Brings back a lot of memories. I felt totally to blame, and I went into a deep, dark depression. I was even suicidal, but I comforted myself with food. I ate uncontrollably to console myself. In more about alcoholism, on page 30, it says, We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. That is what happened to me. That is what happened to me. When my fourth child was born, or when I was pregnant with my fourth child, actually, I challenged God to send me a child who wasn't physically challenged. Because I said, I have two. One, my oldest child is, 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 has all her 
all of her hands and feet, uh, but the other two didn't. And so after that, bur- uh, she and so I challenged God, and I said, "Now it's your turn." But she was born also with the same genetic problems, and I was really, really angry at God, really angry. And um, so I left my church. Um, But I have to say that you'll find out later on through working my program and working steps two and three that I came to know a loving and kind and compassionate higher power, but it took a long time. It didn't happen overnight. So again, back to my pregnancies. With each one, I gained more weight, and I would try to lose the weight after the birth, but I never lost at all. My weight continued to climb, and I grew into what I heard on these lines, a cereal dieter plus a quantity and sugar addict. Um, I it, it, That was my life. I was either on a diet or off a diet, trying to find the next fad diet, you know, the airline stewardess diet, the cabbage soup diet. Oh, Scarsdale was one of the ones I was trying to think of. They all worked for a while because I'm... I can I can diet. I can control the food. I did not know that I had an allergy of the body or a mental obsession, obsession of the I did not know that. So I would feel deprived on the diet or resentful that other people could eat all kinds of food and I couldn't, and then I would pick something up, something sweet, and then I was off and running. There's a member on this line that says, remorse, regret, repeat. And I totally relate to that. I had remorse. I regretted what I did. I got angry at myself, but then I would repeat it. I went on this way of eating, uh, uh, eating myself into oblivion, yet caring for these five children. My mother was constantly on me about my weight and would say, You know, what would she do if I died and left all those children? And, you know, she was using that, as we see in the big book, frothy emotional appeal, but it never had any effect on me. So here's what happened. After three years of therapy and dealing with my marriage issues and with my mother, my issues with my mother, I told my therapist I thought I had a problem with food. And she sent me to my first OA meeting in 1989, which uh, I guess, you know, it was very good that I had a therapist that knew about OA. And she said I wanted to, she wanted to find me a really good meeting, and she did. I don't remember much about the meeting, except that they suggested I buy a copy of the big book and the 12 and 12, which I did. And I thought by having those two books that that would help me lose the weight. And uh, I promptly put them up on the shelf. Uh, I did keep going to meetings. My early years in OA are pretty much a fog because I resisted this program. I really didn't think I was as bad as some of the people I heard and saw in the rooms. I was 65 pounds bigger, but because I had been a dancer, I was able to, the weight kind of was right in my middle, and uh, I didn't care. I carried my weight well, is what I want to say. So um, let me see. Um, I did get a sponsor, 
Uh, I went to meetings. I got a sponsor, and I answered questions. I just did what I was told. I don't remember working the steps as outlined in the big book. Um, but in the OA rooms, I heard about the HOW program, and a friend brought me to my first HOW meeting in 1992. Um, what amazed me about that meeting is there was a lot of people in there that um, had lost a lot of weight and were keeping it off. And so I thought, well, I'll try this. So I asked my sponsor. I asked my friend to be my sponsor, and she gave me uh, a food plan, uh, which I hadn't had before. And now I had a diet that I thought would work. So I used the program, as I hear it said on the lines, as a diet with group support. I didn't know that I was doing that. I controlled and white-knuckled my food for a long time. And I've heard it said that when I'm controlling the food, I can enjoy it. And when I'm enjoying the food, I can't control it. That's me. I'm trying to control my food and my weight. And in uh, There is a Solution on page 24, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, obscure, have lost the power of choice to drink. I've lost the power to choose. And I was still trying to control my food, even in the rooms. So as I said, I did release 65 pounds, but I really wasn't working the steps daily. Then in 1995, my father died suddenly, and at the same time I found out that my best friend from grammar school was dying of cancer. I remember holding on to my abstinence as I watched her slowly wither away. I remember making abstinent food for her family and for myself but I was hanging on by my fingernails. I was really white-knuckling what I call the food. And the day my best friend died, I picked up sugar. And that was after four years of being in uh, the Howe rooms. And I was off and running for four more years. I left the rooms because I was ashamed and embarrassed of myself. And during that time, I regained all that weight and more back. So now up to March of 2000, I was driving home from having spent the day with my mother. My father had passed, and she was needing a lot of help. Things hadn't gone well. We had had a miserable fight as she was aging and drinking, and I was worried about her living alone. Um, On my drive home, I'll never forget it, it was March 6th of 2000. It happened to be for me as a Catholic Ash Wednesday. I was on the Bay Bridge, which is a bridge between the peninsula and where I lived. And I I was thinking of driving off that bridge, but you can't because I was just insane. I cried out to God, my mantra, please God, help me. Please God, help me. And I heard Return to the 7 a.m. Saturday morning meeting. And I remember kind of questioning that and saying that I didn't want help with my food. I wanted help with my mother. She was my problem. So I thought. So um, I was on a slow road to death. So I did. I went back to that meeting. on the the following Saturday, 
And I walked into the rooms, much ashamed and embarrassed again because I had gained all my weight back. No one, no one, everyone loved me back into those rooms. I, I knew, I remembered some of the people from before, loved me back in, said, welcome back, welcome home. Uh, loving environment in the rooms. I sat there for three weeks before asking someone to be my sponsor. I told her I was a retread, and she told me, you can do it. She had more faith in me than I did. But I told her I wanted to celebrate my birthday that weekend, and I didn't want to start until Monday. And, of course, you know, I was off and running for the weekend. But I've never left the rooms since that March of 2000. But I have in the rooms. I have had a lot of slips and relapses. I would have days, weeks, even months uh, of the program, but then I would slip, and it would take me a long time before I would be honest with my sponsor. And here's where the honesty piece comes in, how it works on page 58. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Being honest with themselves. I was not an honest person. I learned early on how to cheat with food, steal food, uh you know, take money for food. Um, I've had to make a lot of amends around all the food issues that I've had. Uh, hide food, eat food in my closet, eat food in my car, hide wrappers. Um, I've eaten bad food. I clean up other people's plates. You know, just ugh, bad, a lot of things that I've done with food. Um uh, growing up, I heard that my food and weight problem was a moral issue and that I was a bad person. As I said earlier on, my mother was a very proud lady. And when I when I got taller than her in eighth grade, I really wasn't heavier than her. When I got taller than her, she thought I was fat, and I believed her. She used the word fat, and I saw a picture of myself taller than her. I was normal-sized at age 13. 14. When I did start to gain weight, yeah, she was on me. Um, but in the rooms, I've heard it said that I'm not a bad person trying to be good. I'm a sick person trying to get well. So I worked that program, that how program, and thought that following that food plan and answering the questions would help me lose the weight and keep me abstinent. And I did lose the 65 pounds again, which boosted my ego, but I was still insane in my head and uh, still going crazy. And um, I hadn't identified my allergic foods, which are now called yellow light foods, as, along with red light foods, that would cause me to slip. I didn't know that the slip or relapse was triggered by the allergy of the body and the mental obsession, and that my relapse, my slip, would be, begin long before I put the bite in my mouth. 
and, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. The doctor's opinion on XXVI. We who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So to really start studying this was really important to me, and that comes up just in the last three years. But in still going through this period before 2015, I knew what my major trigger foods were, but I had discovered much later that my, I'm allergic to some even abstinent foods, and they had to be out of my food plan forever. Today, with God's grace, I have neutrality around the food. So during my years, uh, so so during uh, the years from 2000 to 2015, my husband and I traveled a lot, and I have a lot of good memories. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of my memories around travel is around the food, uh, and and uh, is about controlling the food, how I was going to do my abstinence, how I could control the food, how I could do food on the airplane. Uh, and also uh, slips and or relapses on these trips. So a couple of stories about a couple of trips. Once on a two-week cruise trip, um, I was abstinent for the first week, and I really controlled that abstinence. And But the second week, I binged. I binged. I binged my way through the ship. I feel like I ate the ship. I gained so much weight in one week that I hardly fit into my clothes to get off the ship. I was just so embarrassed. Oh, just beyond belief. I couldn't believe I had done that. And then there was another trip I took to Ireland, which was on my bucket list. We went to Ireland. And I remember telling my sponsor, I am going to stay abstinent no matter what. And I did. And I controlled my food all the way until the last day. And the last day they woke us up and had us at breakfast at 4 o'clock in the morning. And at 4 o'clock in the morning there was no hot food. And there was all this breakfast sugar food to eat. And I had been so resentful that everybody was eating all these other foods that I didn't eat and letting those resentments build day after day after day and not doing a thing about the resentments that I picked up a donut. And I ate it. And I couldn't believe how fast, how fast the allergy kicked in. Uh, there was milk on that buffet and there was fruit. And I can have two glasses of milk to make my protein, and I can have a fruit. But did I think? Nope. I didn't think at all. I was so resentful and had not been doing any 10 steps because I didn't know how to do them that I picked up the food. Uh, but that was the last piece of it. I had been thinking about food for the whole trip. So and there is a solution on page 22. Once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens both in the bodily and mentally sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. I could not stop. I couldn't wait till we got to the airport so that I could go around and get whatever I wanted. I just 
all the way home I was eating, and I was so sick. When I came home, I said I realized I hadn't done any 10 steps, but in reality, as I said, I hadn't been taught how to do it. Okay, so today, so from from 2010 to 2015, I had a five-year period of abstinence, refraining from sugar and white flour, and I felt I was doing really good. I was giving a lot of service at our intergroup level as a Region 2 representative, a co-chair of retreats, and then I was elected as events coordinator to the Region 2 board. And during this five-year period, I really wasn't working a strong program, but I was doing a lot of business work for OA. And my sponsor was allowing me to do that. I was doing a lot of writing because we had to write board reports, a lot of phone calls to hotels to book them. I, uh, But I was not working my personal program. And so it started to slide. So on page 85 and into action, it says, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. Well, here's what happened. After my commitments ended in October of 2015, and I don't even remember the day or what I picked up, but I started eating sugar again. I could not believe how fast the disease kicked in. I was worse than when I left off in 2010. Worse, I heard that the the disease progresses as I recover, and my disease had progressed. And I'll tell you, in two months of eating nothing but sugar, sugary products, I gained 25 pounds, and I was so ashamed of myself. I was demoralized. I couldn't believe that this had happened to me in the rooms, in the rooms. In uh, More About Alcoholism on page 31, it says, in some instances there has been brief recovery followed always by still worse relapse. There it is. I had recovery, but followed by a worse relapse. And then there is a solution on page 24. At a certain point in the drinking career of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. The tragic situation has already arrived practically in every case long before it is suspected. That day I picked up the sugar wasn't it. I had been letting go of my program for five years and not dealing with it on a daily basis. Totally demoralized, totally demoralized. I made an outreach call to someone in our rooms, and I told her that I could not stop binging. She asked me two questions, which changed my life. She said, are you desperate, and are you willing to go to any lengths? And those two questions are found on work, in Working with Others on page 90. Ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. I answered an emphatic yes from my gut. My gut this time. It is my opinion that one has to be totally desperate 
and at their bottom in order to take step one honestly. If I think I have more compulsive eating in me, then I'm not done yet. But I, I've, I'm done. I have to surrender, not just for today, but forever. I heard on the meeting last week that uh, surrender came to me not through success, but through my failures. And this is true. And the vicious cycle, here is where it begins to end. She then asked me if I was willing to work the 12 steps in 30 days through the big book. I laughed, as I had never worked the steps that fast. But I said, yes, I would do anything, anything, anything to get out of that vicious, vicious, horrific cycle of eat, binge, hide, steal, sneak. I didn't know that she had been studying the big book with the primary purpose group and then on the vision meetings for five years. That phone call was definitely the turning point in my recovery. And I know it was God doing for me what I could not do for myself. I haven't been the same since that day. She had me define my red and yellow light foods. She believes that the yellow light foods are red light foods in disguise. And I listed all my red light foods, which I know. I know what those are. but I, And I eliminated those immediately. But um, there were yellow light foods that I didn't know about that were triggering me. And um, I needed to say no to them. And one of them that's allowed on my plan is uh, peanut butter. And I can't have that in any shape or form because I start eating more and more and more. Since that time, by the grace of God, I have neutrality around the food, which is a miracle, an absolute miracle. I lived to eat, eat, sleep, eat, breathe, eat. It was all about food, whether I was on the diet or off a diet. That's the vicious cycle. The mental obsession with food has been quieted, and the vicious cycle of slips and relapses has ended. My sponsor guided me through all 12 steps by studying the big book. It's like I was seeing the big book with a new pair of glasses. Uh, There were words in there that would jump out at me that I had never seen or comprehended before, and it still does today. I mean, every time I read the book with my sponsees, something stands out to me. Um, my sponsor would help me understand the parts of the book that I didn't understand or that I questioned. Slowly, I started to learn the prayers for each step and practice them throughout the day. I have a whiteboard here in my office, and I'll write down, you know, one of the prayers, uh, and then I'll just read it throughout the week. So... um, My sponsor helped me, as I said that. Yeah, I started to learn prayers. Yep, I began listening to the morning vision meetings. Oh, I was about to have surgery, rotator cuff surgery, and my sponsor said, while you're recovering from surgery, check out this website. And she gave me that avision4u.info website. And I did. And I went, whoa, what is this? And I just, you know, started asking her questions. 
And uh, so then I started to listen to the meetings. And I heard people say they were recovered. And I went, huh? What? Recovered? What does that mean? And I asked my sponsor, and she said, well, to her understanding, that the, well, she told me that the big book uses the word recovered many, many times. I didn't count them, but somebody probably has. But what I understand it to mean is that one is abstinent, uh, that a recovered person is abstinent and has worked all 12 steps and continues to do 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. So she guided me through all the steps. I did another fourth, you know, and I went all the way through. I started making amends. I even remembered amends that I hadn't made. Um, some of the difficult amends were um, stealing food from grocery stores. And I wrote, she she guided me through how to do the amends. I went in, I spoke to the manager of the store. I asked to speak to the manager. And I told them I was in a 12-step program and they needed to make amends that I had taken candy out of their candy bins and nuts out of their nut bins. And, and um, I was making a financial amends. And... Um, some grocery stores were very appreciative, and others just uh, said thank you. Um, but it, it really changed my life by making those amends. So I'll say if you have amends to do, just get them done. And then she got me to step 10, which is on page 84, into action. And I tell you, all the years that I was in the program, I never understood this step. So I never did it. Today, it is a daily part of my life, and I love, love, love taking people through step tens. When my emotions start to build up, I have this tool to work through them. I don't deal with my emotions. If I don't deal with my emotions on a daily, sometimes minutely basis, I will succumb to the disease. So I was doing a lot of step tens around giving this uh, share today because I was nervous and anxious and worried and, you know, and it was all about what step 10 says. Where am I being selfish, dishonest, resentful, fearful, selfish? Well, you know, I want to look good. I want to, you know, you know, sound good. I want to have, you know, the right words to say. Well, it's not about me. It's about helping someone else. Dishonest, I'm not trusting God. Resentful, well, it wasn't so much resentful, but it was just uh, some, some worry and anxiety. So please, God, help me show myself the same pity, tolerance, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. How can I be of service? Just do my homework, and then God use me to help another person. And then fear. And my greatest fear is that I would stutter, stutter all over my words. And or one of my fears was I wouldn't wake up because it was 5:30 California time. But uh, God is good. God had me awake. Well, so where am I today? I've had I had one slip in that time on March 6, 2016. I told my sponsor immediately that I compulsively ate one little food. I, and, and then I stopped 
and she and I've been totally abstinent from that day on, and I've been free from the obsession. Um, I have gone through two surgeries, and recently, as some of you know, I was laid up for five months with a herniated disc. Uh, took the doctors that long to diagnose it. In a lot of pain, I can really empathize with people in chronic pain, but I want to say that I refused to give in to the pain with the food. I was not going to do that. And I made outreach calls, and I asked people, how do you deal with pain and and your food? And many of the answers were give service. And when I was on the line giving service or, or giving service to a, a sponsee or to someone on an outreach call, yes, I was still in pain, but I wasn't focusing on my pain. I was focusing on the other person. And so when I'm giving service, I am not thinking of myself. I am thinking of the other, and I am so grateful to have that change of view. It is a joy for me to pass on what was so freely given to me. I love studying the big book with my sponsees. So here's how I work my day. I start my day off by connecting with God, and I work at this connection throughout the day. I have a morning ritual of prayer and meditation. Uh, Before I even get out of bed, I say, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for another day to do your will. Uh, Because when I go to bed and I go to sleep, that connection, I lose it. So I have to reconnect in the morning first thing. And then after I do my morning ritual, I will listen to the meeting um, then I work with sponsees throughout the day. I make outreach calls. I do 10 steps. I read and write from the big book almost every day. I attend face-to-face meetings, give service, and I love carrying the message. It's one of my joys in life is carrying the message uh, wherever I can and whenever I'm asked. Um, I used to hate having to do much, so much work in this program. But today it is a privilege. I was talking to somebody the other day who is returning, and I said, what's your greatest fear? And she said, it's just going to take so much time. And I said to her, I said, the interesting thing is it frees up your time because thinking about food, buying the food, going to buy it, eating it, sneaking eating it, anything that I did, took up a lot of time for me. So in the forward to the first edition, uh, it says on page XIII, it says to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And that is what I am doing today. Um, Just trying to be of service to everybody. And I'm going to end with this. I think uh, I'm just about done. Is the miracles of the program for me today. Well, I want to tell you that those five children, four of them with the physical challenges, have grown up into absolutely beautiful adult children. Uh, Some with family. Some have chosen to have families and some have not. Um, But that isn't even an issue today. They they represent someone who can 
manage through a situation and come out the other side and be successful. They're all married, uh, and as I said, I have six grandchildren. So that's a miracle for me that um, I didn't end my life over that and that they are very healthy and, and doing well and that even today I work my program with them by not telling them how to lead their lives. I stay on my side of the street. One of the other miracles around the program is that I have neutrality around the food. Um, it does not call me anymore. Um, my husband has cookies here. He eats two cookies for lunch every day, which just blows me away. Um, no more, no less. <laughs> and I used to get into that cookie bin all the time. It does not bother me. I serve him his uh, ice cream at dinner time, and it does not bother me at all, and I'm grateful for that. I have peace and serenity most of the time, and when I don't, I do my 10th step. And 10 includes 10, includes all the steps, but it includes 11, and then when I finish the 10th step, I do a 12-step outreach call, and I don't talk about my problem. I ask them how their day is going and what step are they on. Um, I've learned how to balance my life and to live my life on life's terms. Before, I was just a crazy lady all over the place. No, now I live a more balanced life. Um, I am more spontaneous. You know, when someone says, hey, let's go for a hike, I'll say, yeah, let's go for a hike. And I can do that. And I have just a boatload of friends now, both on this line and in the rooms and in my life. Um, I just love love hearing from all of you and being connected to each one of you. And I think I'm going to wrap it up, Leah. I am going to pass. Thank you for allowing me to be of service. Well, thank you so much, Mo, for sharing your story and your heart with all of us this morning. Truly a message of hope and possibility. Thank you for your helpful service. This presentation's share ID number is 12,863. That's 12863 for this morning's presentation. Mo's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Mo by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please offer your name, including the first letter of your last name. Cindy D. Cindy D. Wendy B. Wendy B. Jody E.Q. Jody E.Q. Toby W. Toby W. Roz G. And Roz G. That's a great group to begin with. Let's go. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Um, Mary Lee. Mary Lee. Hey, Mary Lee. Thank you. Okay. Wonderful group. Everybody mute, please, except for Cindy D. Hey, Mo. Thanks so much for sharing um, your experience, strength, and hope. Really moved me this morning. And Mo, I'm wondering when you're talking to a fellow or to a sponsee who's recovered and they are having food thoughts, um, what do you ask them? What do you talk to them about? What do you recommend? 
Hey, good morning, Cindy D. Good to hear you. You too. Um, Yes, I'll do my best. What do I tell them? I'll tell them what my sponsor tells me, even when I have a food dream. She tells me to work a 10-step around the food thoughts. So um, so let's say I'm having, so let me see if I can do this for you. You know, I'm having thoughts about eating thus and such, you know, having uh, uh, dessert or something. I'm having food thoughts. Well, where am I being selfish, dishonest? resentful and fearful so selfish well you know with the food thought if i let it control me i'm going to want what i want when i want it and selfish is about wanting things my way i ask god to remove that the dishonest piece uh i'm not trusting usually with for me with dishonesty is i'm not trusting god with that food thought so i need to give that food thought to god over to my god uh, resentful. Maybe I'm resentful that I can't have that food. So maybe I need to look into what's going on behind that and help me show myself the same pity, tolerance, and patience I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. And the fear is, you know, I could give in to that food thought. That fear is of my finite self versus infinite God. I need to connect to God. So please, God, remove this fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. So I would have them do a 10-step around the food thought. Hope that helps. Great. Thanks so much, Mo. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you, Cindy D. Wendy B., your turn. Yeah, hi. Thank you for your share. It was awesome. So my question is, um, you mentioned that you read and write from the big book every day, and I just was wondering what that looked like. And um, does your sponsor give you daily assignments? And that's all. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Um, Yes, thank you, Wendy, for the question. Um, The first, uh, when I first did the the big book, uh, the 12 steps in 30 days, my sponsor over the five years that she had been studying had been devising questions out of each uh, chapter uh, where there, um, she devised uh, questions from the comments that were made in the big book. So I have this booklet of questions that she has done. So I went through that once, and that's what I take my sponsees through. And then she gave me the primary purpose. There's a whole other uh, uh, pamphlet out there called The Primary Purpose. And I I just uh, go through it page by page, and what ends up is I only call her once a, once a week now, is we end up talking about you know the few questions few questions, uh, a lot about the big book in 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 that. But that's what what I read and write on every day. And I'm willing to you know if you want to you can take my phone number down, text me your email address, and I can email that to you. Thank you, Wendy B. Jody EQ, your turn. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Mo, for a wonderful share. That was fantastic. <clears throat> so, Mo, I can relate to your story uh, very well, and um, I'm just wondering about your husband through all of this. <laughs> you know, we we are in the food and then we're abstinent and then we relapse and 
and now you're doing so well. You say your life is balanced. So how how do your amends to your husband look today? Mm. Okay. Oh, good question, Jody EQ. Good to hear you. <laughs> I'm up early with you this morning. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> yes, relating to my husband. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um I have a my okay relating to my husband. My husband is a very easygoing man. Um he was not he was the exact opposite of my mother who was on me all the time for my weight, but he never complained either way up or down about my weight. Um but I I know you want me to go to my amends. So um and he there was a couple of times he said to me, do you think you need to go back to program or are you allowed to eat that or, you know, is that is that on your food plan? And, of course, then I would yelp at him. But the way I do, uh, I've done my amends to him, an initial one, uh, about the way I wasn't available for him because I was into the food so much. And the way I do my amends, the way I work amends with him today is I do living amends with him. And I do work a lot of 10 steps around my husband. You're going to hear me say that a lot because uh, issues do come up so that I can be loving and kind to him. Um, but I weigh and measure my food. And he recently started dialysis. And before that, I was having to weigh and measure his food because they'd get minimum protein when their kidneys are going. And now he gets a whole lot more protein because he's on dialysis. So I am actually, you know, weighing and measuring his food as well as mine. So making amends to him, they're more living amends. I really try to be um, a... um, a loving and kind and compassionate understanding to wife. Oh, I hope that helps, Jody. If not, give me a call, okay? Okay, Mo. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jody EQ. Toby W. Star one to unmute. Thank you so much, Mo. I uh, this is Toby, uh, recovered food addict. Um, I relate so much to so much of what you had to say, but I have three more stores to make financial amends to. I did two, and in both cases, they didn't want to take the money, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first one I kept saying, uh, please, I don't care what you do with it, but please take it. (laughs) And it was like it was like fire in my hand. I you know I needed to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And my sponsor had said something about well, if you're forcing him to do it, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So I, the second one, when he said no, I just found a charity that I gave it to. Um, what do you have to say about it? Did you ever have that kind of an experience? Oh yeah. Hi Toby. Yes, I did. Thank you for your question and thanks for bringing that up. Uh yes, one of the one of the stores said we don't accept money. Um uh, and I did. I contributed it to a a food bank so that, you know, it could go to help other people have food. 
So I made the contribution to the food bank. So that's how I did that one. Okay. All right. So they, I, I expect that the three more that I have to do will probably say the same thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, but just you know, do them to get them off, get them off your chest. Right. Because I'll tell you, you'll feel free after you do them. I did. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Toby. Thank All you. All right. Thanks, Mo. You're welcome. Thank you, Toby. Roz G, your turn. Star one to unmute. Thank you. I needed. Thank you. I needed mm-hmm. to unmute. Mo, thank you for your share. Amazing. I'd like to ask you a little bit about your sponsee routine, like how you sponsor at at the beginning, and then in the after you finish, you know, the step te- te- steps as you know, you know, ever finished, but you know what I mean. How how you yeah. work with your sponsees, please? Okay. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good question, Ross, because I used to ask it myself, but um, I it's worked into a, a nice ritual. So here's what I do when someone asks me to sponsor them. I have guidelines for sponsoring, which I send them right away. Um, I ask them to get three days of abstinence so that we have a foundation because I believe you can't work the steps unless you put the food down, which is step zero um, first. So I ask them to get three days of abstinence. I ask my sponsees to get a food sponsor because I only sponsor unless they're in HOW, the HOW food plan. Uh, and that way I don't have to deal with food. They deal with it with their food sponsor. Uh, then I send them these questions, and uh, I get them started. And so the way a phone call goes is I ask them to, when they call me, it's a 15-minute time slot to say that they're abstinent, and I ask them to make one phone call to a recovered person and I give them this vision uh, website if they don't have it already and ask them to um, call someone on that vision line and ask them uh, what step they're on, how they're working their program, maybe what promise has come true for them or something to that effect. Um, And then I ask them to get a golden nugget from that phone call and to bring it back to me. So on the phone they'll say, I'm abstinent, I called a recovered person. This is the golden nugget I received. So now the golden nugget's been passed on to me, which is really neat. And then they do the work that's prescribed from uh, this pamphlet that I have from my sponsor. When we are done through the 12 steps, and they're now, now working steps 10, 11, and 12, I say, now you move on. They're tethered to me in that they can text me or call me when needed, um, but um, their sponsors become these other recovered people. They call them, and then they get a bunch of sponsees. And so I feel that that's the way it's working the best. I have one that has done that. I have a couple of more ready to do it. Um, A lot of people don't want to leave me, but... Uh, you know, not not me particularly, but leave having the sponsor. But I think people need to, you know, we need to grow up. And, um, you know, I'm connected to God. They're connected to their higher power. And they have all the program information they need. And I'm always available for them. So that's how I do it. So I can do some rotation and, you know, 
allow new people to come in. Now, I hope that answers your question, Roz. If not, give me a call. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Roz G. Mary Lee R. Star one ten mute. Good morning, Leah and Mo. Wow, love, love, love the similarities in your story, especially about the cruising. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I've been on a three-month uh, or three-year um, abstinence from <clears throat> cruising, and I get to go on one in September. And it, it, I love the Mater D's, my new best friend. Anyway, enough about me. <laughs> I had so many questions that have been answered, so the one that's left is if... You have, I, I love how you do the 10th step around your food and your food dreams. Um, but if you had just a few minutes and you you want an inspiration from the big book, what page would you go to or what pages? Oh, whoa. <laughs> what pages would, what page would I go to? Let me pull out my big book. It's falling apart here. Um uh, let's see what what jumps out at me. Um, you know, just, oh, there's so much in here. God, um, if I want inspiration, oh, that's what you said. If I want inspiration, want inspiration. Yeah. Uh, would I go to page eighty four and the tenth step? You know, my favorite step. It's on page eighty four. You know, would I go to that? How to help me if I'm into into problems? This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. And then it goes on to continue to watch for selflessness, dishonesty, resentments, fear. I won't I won't read any more to save time for others. But um you know what? Um take my phone number and text me text me and give me your phone number and um if I if something comes up I'll tell you. Okay, right right now off the top of my head, that's what came came up. Oh thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Mary Lee. Mhm. Thank you, Mary Lee R. Who else has a question for Mo H this morning? This will be our final invitation for questions. Star Jackie. one. Marla. There, there was a Jackie, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, Jackie L. I'm sorry. To, Jackie L. Sure, no problem. Sorry. And then who else? Marla. Marla. Eddie C. Penny C. Eddie. Eddie C. Jason K. Jason K. Carrie C. Terry C. K T. K T. Anyone else? Going once. Diane F. Diane S. No, it's Jan, J-A-N. J-A-N, thank you for the correction. Thanks. All right, that's a great group. Let's begin with Jackie L. Thank you so much. Um, 
I want to say thank you so much for your share this morning and your service and everyone that's on the line. Um, uh, my story is very much similar to yours as well. I've been around the program since 88 and um, was in another sister program that left um, OA Howe back, back in the 80s. And I want to know, when did you get to that point where you knew after being in program, um, you know, you went through all these different experiences, which I have gone through now. When did you know you had enough? Like, even though you had gotten, you know, abstinent over and over and repeatedly, because I feel like my program has been layers of that, you know. Mm -hmm. I've been going through the big book. I've gone through the big book. I've been doing 10 steps, and I have just been falling off. The resentments that I have are just thick. Mm -hmm. So could you tell me when you got to that point where you said enough is enough on every yeah. level? It's the food. Emotional sobriety became the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great question, Jackie. Thank you for your for your question. When I knew I had enough, it was uh, when I picked up in October of 2015 the sugar after not having had it for five years, and it was nothing but sugar for two months. And I wasn't telling anybody. I wasn't. I didn't have a sponsor at the time. Um, and I was just binging. I call it binging my brains out. I don't know what else, how else to say it. And sick and, you know, felt cotton mouth and bowling ball in my stomach and, you know, all the ugly things that come along with that. When I called this person and said, I can't stop and I, I and I knew I knew the allergy of the body and the and the obsession of the mind at that point because I had been in the rooms a long time and I knew I wasn't going to be able to stop myself I knew that I would eat myself to death it's a slow death I'm digging my grave with a spoon I've heard it's a slow death when I said to her I can't stop and she said are you desperate are you desperate and are you willing? And I was at a gut, gut level. And that was the day that I said, never again will I pick up sugar, no matter what, or any of my alcoholic foods, I should say, not just sugar, but any of them. Never again, because once I put that food in my body, the allergy is triggered. I'm done. So I have to deal with the mental obsession or the mental, whatever goes on, mental twist, mental obsession, goes on throughout the day. And as, you know, I hear Harlan say, it's the buildup of everyday emotions that we don't express. If I don't deal with my emotions on a daily basis, I am on a slippery slope to picking that bite up. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, but it will happen. And so I make sure that I keep my plate clean. I do uh, an 11-step every day with a partner. So I make sure I do all of my stuff, all of my work, 11-step uh, the, uh, uh, in the evening prayer. And I do on in the morning upon awakening, I do that prayer. So... Um, the best thing I can say to you, Jackie, is just stay connected to God and know that the last 
time you put food in your mouth was the last time. My sponsor says it's not just for today. It's forever. And I have to know that. And I know that today by the grace of God. So I hope that helped, Jackie. Thank you. I'll wait for your number. Okay. Thank you, Jackie L. Marla, your turn. Good morning, Mo. Good morning, Leah. Thank you both. Um, Mo, your story and your details, uh, very practical, explained details have been really helpful. I'm recovered in Iowa. Um, mm-hmm. So my question, I hope this isn't real muddled, but when I go to my face-to-face meetings, I find that you know there are definitely some people that are really focused on working the steps and they have kind of this step-by-step notion of where we're headed and what we're doing. Um, a lot of my people, one of my biggest goals and services to try to get people in touch with Vision for You because it's so clear on how to get well. Mm-hmm. But my, my biggest question right now is when I'm at my face-to-face meetings or trying to do outreach to people that I know are still just showing up at meetings and, you know, still living in, in disease and struggling, um, is how to do my outreach to them because a lot of them, I feel like are just kind of there for the group support and not really working any specific steps. And sometimes I'll feel like we end up having these very um, uh, superficial. So at the end of a meeting, a big hug, because I care about you. Hey, how are you doing? Good, fine. You know, and mm-hmm. it'll be like kind of just asking a point of question. So where are you in your work? What's recovery? Oh, I'm, I'm doing okay. And I just, mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. I feel so helpless and I know we can't mm-hmm. save other people. So, mm-hmm. but I just wonder, are there, things you do with people that you know are still suffering that you see at these meetings mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. do you try to take them a little deeper like so so are you you know where are you in your stuff I mean there's some I just know are just not ready yet what do you do with those people and do you do anything to try to get a little deeper with them into their recovery to try to help them get deeper into yeah. recovery or to get recovery yeah yeah I hear you I hear you loud and clear I said I asked that exact same question. I was at a workshop that Harlan was given at one of our conventions, and I asked that exact same question: Is how do I carry this message into my face-to-face meetings? And the first thing he said to me is, "Recover, recover, recover myself." So I have to work my program diligently every day. And the second thing is to carry my big book into the meeting. And to when I share at the meetings, uh, I share from the big book. I, you know, whatever the topic is. Yesterday it was uh, how do I work my program, and um, I was able to share how I work it, which is doing that 10 step on page 84. And a member came up to me who I know is dead against the big book because she thinks it's a bunch of old men who are alcoholics. And she said, you know, what page did you say that was on? And what are those character defects? And this woman's been in the room a long time. So I carry the message. Um, also in working with others, you know, we don't waste time on those that are just not ready. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe some of the people in the rooms are just not ready. Um, you know, we, we we work with those that are ready. Mm-hmm. So um, what I would say is recover, recover, recover yourself. Uh, Carry the big book. Uh, We around here had uh, uh, cards made up for this vision meeting 
So mm-hmm. whenever I feel it appropriate, I give that out, and I say if they have any questions to call me, I say it's a great meeting to start learning to study the big book. I was listening to a Joe and Charlie tape uh, the other day, and I heard them say that back in the day that the meetings and the big book were synonymous, where they were the same, and that over the years, because of rehab centers and uh, dysfunctional family things came in and recovering came in and all that, the meetings and the big book have gotten separated. Mm-hmm. And so now my high dream is to start bringing that back together. And I think this vision meeting is is a prime example of how we work our program. It's right here in the big book. So that's what I would say to you is just bring your experience into the room. Okay. Thank Got you. It? Perfect. Thank you, Marla. You're welcome, Marla. Thank you, Marla. Eddie C., your turn. Good morning. Uh, this is Eddie C. in Virginia. Thank you very much for your share. My first question would be, which of my closets have you been living in all these years? But I know you can't answer that one. And the second one would be, um, I had some, um, you know, tormented relations with my mother, as you described in your talk. Um, unfortunately, when she passed, Mom, I had not yet gotten it program. Uh, so um, I did, after, you know, being in program for a bit, um, you know, try to make some amends. Um, you know, I wrote her a letter. I went to the cemetery. I read it there, you know. And I try to, you know, be a good mom myself. Um, my daughter is also in program, so we have a lot to share. Uh, but I was wondering um, if your mom is still alive and if if not, or even if she is, you know, what do you do to, you know, continue to improve that uh, with her? All right. All right. Thank you, Betty. Yes, I did have a tumultuous relationship with my mother, and she is no longer alive. But uh, I was fortunate to be in program when she was alive, and I was able to make my amends to her. I didn't want to, but I was able able to make them. She unfortunately had had uh, used alcohol a bit too much and had some alcohol seizure, alcoholic seizures, so her brain wasn't a hundred percent. But she did tell me after I made my amends that she liked my words which was something very comforting to me, which helped bring closure to that. So, uh, but how the program, uh, is your mother still alive? No, no, she passed. She passed. And what was your question to me? Well, I I just wanted to know that if your mom had passed, if you were still trying to, you know, make amends or live, you know, make a living amends. I, I was, yeah, you know, when my mom passed, I was at peace. I was at peace. I felt I had done all I could do to make her life better for her last at least four years. And I had really tried to work the best of my program. It was early on. Uh, But I did have a sponsor who was an AA that really helped me with my mother. And uh, I think we came to a point where we we were okay with each other at the end. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I do living amends now uh, to, to other people that you know, and I'm getting up there in years too. But yeah, you know, I try all. to be helpful and 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 uh, mm, you know, just supportive of other people who are struggling that are mm-hmm. elderly. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Yep. Okay, Betty. Thank you. That's Eddie C. Thank you very much, Jason oh, K. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought it was Betty. <laughs> sure. That's Jason okay. K. You're up. 
Good morning, Jason Kay. Um, thank you for your talk, and, and thank you, Leah, for moderating. Um, I really like the pointed questions, like, are you done? Are you willing to go to any lengths? Um, do, you, do you ask those to new sponsees directly, and how do you handle, um, like, what's a compassionate response when we get the sense that the person's not ready or they outright say no because I feel like I want them to be exposed to program and I don't want them to go away. Um, so I guess that's my question. What's the compassionate response if they're not ready? Okay. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, good question again. Uh, yeah, those were two good questions for me. And yes, I do ask them of sponsees. Um, and usually I do get a yes. Um, sometimes my gut will say to me a yes to both of them. Yes, I'm done, and yes, I'm willing to go to any lengths. Um, the, uh, uh, sometimes my gut will say, mm, not sure, but it's not for me to judge, so I will work with them. Um, um, I did go up to someone in the room the other day who came back, and, and we kind of have a joking, we have a, a, a fun relationship, and I did ask her if she was done yet, and she said no, she wasn't. And my sponsor says, you, then you need to do some more eating until you're done. Because if you're not done, you're going to eat somewhere down the line. So the compassionate response to somebody who isn't done is say, well, I'm here when you need me. But if they're not done, there's nothing I can do. What is what is the expression? If If, you know, there's nothing you can say... Uh, if they're not done, there's nothing you can say right, and if they're done, there's nothing you can say wrong. I think that's the way it goes. I don't have it in front of me, but something to that effect. But, yeah, so if they're not done, you just have to lovingly say, well, uh, you know, I'm here for you. You don't have to say I'm sorry that you're not done, but just say I'm here for you. Does that help, Jason? I hope so. Yes, yes, that helps. Thank you very much. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks, Jason. Terry C., your turn. Star one, unmute. <clears throat> Terry C., star one, to unmute. Hi. Hi, this is Carrie C., compulsive eater in, in Minnesota. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story, and um, I got a lot out of it. I was wondering if you could share a little bit. I was intrigued by your use of the word um, spontaneous, that you can be spontaneous today. Um, and I think it's because I, as I'm struggling to get out of the food, I um, – I, I struggle with spontaneous food decisions, right? Like I'm done and I, I reach a bottom and I'm never going to eat again. And I put a lot of structure in my program to support that. And then, um, you know, in, in an afternoon, I can be back in the food again. And um, sometimes I resist, I resist the idea of structure and particularly the structure of how, um, because I think, oh, I want to be spontaneous and, oh, I want to be able to go out and do things and why can't I just be spontaneous but 
not eat my alcoholic foods. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what spontaneity looks like um, as a recovered person and as you're, you know, living free from from the bondage, what that actually looks like for you. Mm. Oh, Carrie, thank you. <clears throat> yeah, excellent question. Um, number one, I am not spontaneous around my food, so I'm going to make that clear. Uh, I eat three weighed and measured meals. I don't eat in between meals, and I do one day at a time. <clears throat> and um, and when I go out, I bring with me my scale and my measuring spoons. I have to do this for me because it helps me stay clean with my food and sane in my head. So those are two things. Uh, so when I go out, I bring extra veggies, extra protein, and my fruit. Uh, because usually at restaurants I can't get enough salad to make my portion. Um, uh, so I am not spontaneous with food. Uh, I have found that since I've released the 65 pounds that I am more spontaneous with life, such as uh, just a couple of months ago one of my daughters had a spring break and wanted to go to Hawaii. And within two weeks, they had a trip planned to Hawaii, three daughters and me, and we went for a week. That was very spontaneous of me to do that. Uh, didn't worry about my food because we had a condo, and I knew I'd be buying it all, and they know about my food, and I weighed and measured everything um, and you know, did what I needed to do for the plane flights. But that's what I meant about being spontaneous. I can be spontaneous with life. Uh, you know, if if there's food involved, like let's say my husband says, well, let's go to the movies and it's like lunchtime, I'll say, well, quick, let me pack up, you know, some of my abstinent food so I take it in the movie theater to eat it because it's lunchtime. So I, I always have to work my food into my spontaneity, but it, it has worked, so I really haven't had trouble with it. Uh, and the structure for me gives me freedom. And I guess it's a peace of mind in my body and in my head. So that's what I do, Carrie, with spontaneity. I hope that helps. Great. Thank you so much. Yes. Welcome. Thank you, Carrie C. K T. Oh, Carrie. Yeah. Sorry, Carrie. <laughs> K T. Star one to unmute, please. Hi, this is KT. I want to thank you so much. I, too, have been around a long time and uh, lost abstinence, gave away practically, but I'm back for two whole weeks and abstinent. And I have, hey. yay. Yeah. Um, I know. I would like that list of questions that you have from that your sponsor okay. works on as well. All and. Right. Actually, since being around for so long, this is the first time I've heard about a food sponsor and a step sponsor. And how can I learn about that? Okay. Hi, Kay. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, well, that was my deal to work it up, you know, food sponsor and, and being a step sponsor because I didn't want to deal with people's food unless they're doing how, the how food plan. So okay. I think there are people out there, at least all my sponsees seem to have found other people. All it, all a food sponsor does is you, between you and and your doctor or dietitian, because uh, I don't want to be in charge of my food. 
because uh, I don't want to be in control. Because if I'm in charge of my food, it would be way different than the food plan is. So I took the food plan, or if you have a, a, a plan of eating that you have, you take it to your doctor or dietitian or nutritionist uh, to have them look over it and, and say, yeah, this is this is good. And then that's what you give to your a person who's going to be your food sponsor. And then that's what you commit your food. That's You use that to commit your food from every day. Those are the foods. So that's what a food sponsor is. I email my food every night to my sponsor uh, just um, to have her, you know, to have it. She's my she's my sponsor, but she also takes my food because she's in how-to. Um, so that's a food sponsor. And then uh, I don't call it a step sponsor. I just call myself like a big book sponsor. I just sponsor through the steps in the big book. Okay? Yeah, I I really like that. I personally am like you. I have to give the food. I have a schedule, and I prepare in advance, and I give it to God. So thank you so much. Okay. You're welcome. Okay, Kay. Thank you, KT. And our final question for this morning comes from Jan S. Jan, star one to unmute, please. Can you hear me? I hear you well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mo. I'm Jan in Virginia. Um, we don't have how in in our area any longer, and I'm intrigued about the idea of taking someone through the steps in 30 days. Mm-hmm. Um, I, re- I found out about A Vision for You almost a year ago and mm-hmm. immediately got a vision, a, a sponsor from A Vision for You who took me through the big book and the steps in about two and a half months Mm-hmm. And that was the best experience I ever had because mm-hmm. I was able to deal with those raging emotions that came up once I got abstinent. And, mm-hmm. of course, the steps are, are you know, the solution to that. Mm-hmm. But I'm also intrigued by the idea of, of doing that even faster. And I heard you say that that's what you did. And I wondered if you still do that with your sponsees. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. do you have like a some sort of format for managing mm-hmm. to do that in 30 yeah. days? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so at the end of the meeting when it's not recorded, I'll give my phone number and you can text me All right. um, your email address and I can send the booklet to you uh, that my sponsor made up. It's just right out of the big book. There's nothing new. And on the last page, it says day one, day two, day three. You know, you read doctor's opinion answer these questions day four you know sometimes it takes a little longer i'm not going to say you it can be done in 30 days i'm going to say i i it took me maybe 45 days or something i don't know what it was but it yeah it can be done in 30 days if you work really hard at it right. okay sounds great thank you okay so much. jan thank you for your question bye-bye thank you jan s Thanks to everybody who posts questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Mo, for your generous spirit and your helpful service this morning. Greatly appreciate you sharing your remarkable story of transformation with all of us this morning. Thank you. We're going to close from page 164. You'll actually find it in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you will understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>